Music seems to be the most immediate of all the arts. Music possesses us. It really is as if some other has entered not just our bodies, but our intentions as well, taking us over it. Does this music cause you to do what you do? Tonight's News on the News special report will be examining the controversial question, can the music we listen to affect our lifestyles and beliefs? Would you be willing to tell us who your favorite bands are? Nirvana, Jesus and Mary Chain, Thrill Cold Cult, Sonic Youth, Jesus Lizard. Robert Smith is God. Smashing Pumpkins. Do you think these songs have in any way affected your values or the way you live your life? It's just music, man. We just listen to the music, that's all. Would you mind telling our viewers what bands you like to listen to? Hot Dre, Snoop Dogg, Do you think this music or these bands have in any way influenced your lifestyles or beliefs? No, no, man. All you like is a music, man. That's all. That's all. Hey, who are you guys listening to? Do you think this music has impacted you in any way, shape, or form? Like, get a grip. We just like the music. That's all. Hey, hey guys, can you tell us what bands you like to listen to? What's up, one? Do you think this music has affected you in any way? What? Do you think that listening to these bands has in any way influenced your lifestyles or beliefs? No, man, we just like the music, that's all. Well, I like to listen to Chaos One, Domino Cooley, Nick Warren G. Do you think the songs that you listen to have affected your attitude or character? No, we just we just like the music. That's all. Hey, who get it? Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Excuse me. Can I ask you a question? Never mind. Well, there you have it, folks. Straight from the fans themselves. Apparently, the music they listen to has absolutely no impact on their lifestyles, beliefs, or anything else for that matter. With Channel 9's News on the News, I'm Alex McNamara. Whether it's the way some people dress, act, or speak, we can all smile at such extreme examples of music's influence over its audience, and the degree to which those same fans will deny that influence. While most of us do know someone who could have been featured in our Nose on the News satire, the truth is that for most of us, music seems to be just that, music, an amusement, a harmless form of entertainment that we can both turn on and off at will. Funny thing about life, though, it has a way of busting through the facade of our excuses and easy answers and forcing us, if we're brave and honest enough, to do a serious gut check. Could there be more to all of this than meets the eye and ear? 
I'm standing in front of Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, scene of one of the worst mass murders in American history. On April 20th of 1999, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold strolled into this school shortly before lunch and opened fire. After killing 12 classmates and a teacher, and planning at least 30 bombs with the intent of killing hundreds more, they turned their guns on themselves. A stunned nation was once again forced to gaze into the abyss of evil and ask, why? How can two so young do something so unspeakably depraved? What force or circumstance can turn former Boy Scouts, living in two-parent homes in an affluent suburb, young men blessed with health, intelligence, and good looks, into two assassins who laughed as they hunted down their victims, killing them in cold blood? As America, and much of the world grappled with this question. Parallels began to be noted to other recent acts of senseless destruction and mayhem. Horrors again committed by individuals who not so long ago would have been considered too young to have had the time to develop the depravity of conscience necessary to perform such evil. Pearl, Paducah, Jonesboro, Springfield, Santee, kids gunned down at the supposed sanctuary of their schools. And then there's Rod Farrell, the leader of a vampire cult who, for no more than the rush he thought he would get from taking someone's life, bludgeoned a member's parents to death with a crowbar. Richard Ramirez, the infamous Night Stalker, killed and then carved pentagrams into the flesh of his victims. 14-year-old Tommy Sullivan stabbed his mother to death, cutting off her hand and face before turning the knife on himself. In a secluded wood, three pre-adolescent boys were stabbed to death and mutilated. Convicted for the crime were three teenagers with more than a passing interest in the occult and heavy metal music. Four teenagers calling themselves the Lords of Chaos began a spree that spiraled down into ever-increasing acts of mayhem and violence. From theft to vandalism to arson, their rampage ended with their arrest for the brutal and senseless murder of their high school music teacher. Three young men, ages 15, 16, and 17, believing that a human sacrifice would invoke hell's blessings and assure the success of their heavy metal band, lured 15-year-old Elise Poller into the woods and stabbed her to death. From suicide to homicide, rape to killing one's parents, the list goes on and on. The bottom line for each of these young killers, of course, is that they chose. They made a conscious decision to pick up a knife or a gun or a bomb and kill. No failure in their upbringing, no cultural deficiency, no weapon, movie, song, or video game. No demon evoked through some occult ritual can serve as a primary focus of blame. They are killers because they killed. But that said, we would still do well to consider those cultural phenomena that may have helped move them along towards that point of decision. The most common denominator in the lives of these young killers was a profound sense of being outcasts, of not fitting into the prevailing cliques, of being shunned and made fun of. But can that by itself explain these horrors? After all, there's nothing new here. When haven't there been cliques and kids made to feel that they're outside them? 
No doubt a good portion of the blame lies with our society at large. Our national addiction to ever-increasing doses of violence, gore and mayhem, reaching down into even the toys that are marketed to our children. The general coarsening of our culture, shattering taboos concerning everything from language to sex. The sacrifice of moral absolutes upon the altar of relativism. The lack of true heroes and strong moral leadership. This and more has contributed to the steady erosion of the foundation of honor, civility, and self-sacrifice that is necessary to bring out the best in a nation's citizens while keeping the worst at bay. Leaving the bigger picture, and focusing in on some of the specific cultural phenomena that seem to thread their way through most of these acts of teen violence. The occult, whether through dabbling or outright obsession, was uncomfortably common. 3D shooter games like Quake and a fascination with violent movies were another prevalent theme. But perhaps the most widespread link to the world of pop culture was the music that so often seemed to score, like a Hollywood movie, their individual descents into anarchy and senseless violence. From Marilyn Manson to Ramstein. Gangster rap to grunge. Metallica. Their fans are so hardcore. It's like almost like a religion. To KMFDM. Dark, nihilistic, angry music was all too often playing in the background. Take as just one example the story of Brian Bassett, a 16-year-old who shot and killed both his mother and father and drowned his five-year-old brother in a bathtub. Spin, a magazine that celebrates contemporary music, relates what happened next as confessed by accomplice Nick McDonald. Brian pulled a small plastic object from his father's hand. It was Brian's favorite cassette, Frog Stomp by the group Silver Chair. That's my expletive tape, he shrieked. Brian stuck the cassette in the stereo, rewound to the beginning of Israel's Son and pushed play. Brian started kicking the bodies of his parents in time to the pounding guitar chords, yelling insults with each blow. This is for kicking me out, thump. This is for breaking my stuff, whack. Now you're dead. Okay, I can hear the objections coming. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I think, I think it's absurd whenever the media tries to blame artists for violence, especially, you know, in the context of something like Columbine. You know, where um, they were saying that there was some kind of a, a violent movement of music that was causing the youth of America to right. turn on each other. You know, I thought that was ludicrous. The messages these bands are getting across, us and anybody, is nothing harmful to anyone whatsoever. It's, it's not telling you to do drugs, to kill somebody, to hurt somebody. It's just feelings. 
that other people have made you feel. I never heard of anybody being able to kill somebody with a CD. You know what I'm saying? When a dude's getting bullied and shoots up your school and they blame it on Maryland. And the heroin, where were the parents at? And look where it's at. Let's get the straw man out of the way, shall we? Listen carefully. Music is not solely or even primarily responsible for Eric and Dylan, or anyone else for that matter, killing someone or committing some other immoral act. In the same way, the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin by itself didn't start the Civil War, but it did so fire the imaginations of the millions who read it that President Lincoln greeted its author as the little lady who made this big war. Neither can Taco Bell's ad campaign by itself account for the astronomical increase in Chihuahua sales since the commercials first began to air. Yo quiero Taco Bell. But one would have to be either ignorant or a liar to deny some degree of linkage. A tattoo on your tongue, a porn, that is a fan right there. There's no question that music, art, and the popular media has enormous power to influence, to capture the imagination, to push people along a little faster in the direction to which they're already inclined, and in some instances, even to help change that direction. Be all you can be. And there is ample evidence to suggest that of all the things that have the power to capture the imagination, there is none more evocative, more electrifying, than music. Don't believe me? The music I listen to doesn't affect me because I know it's just music. I think the music that you listen to doesn't really affect your life. It's pretty trivial, you know. Like, you know, not like, oh, go out there and do what they tell, go out there and do what they tell me to do. They're not, you know, enforcing anything on you. They're just saying how they believe. Because they're just doing their life as long as you keep living your life and just Listen to the music, that's all it is. Listen and hearing it. You ain't got to do what they do. I don't. I just like, I like sitting back and listening to music. You know, it don't affect me really. You know, I like to listen to it, but I don't, you know, base myself on what someone said. I think that all this controversy is like useless. You know, it's just a song. It's just music, you know? <laughs> I believe that. Music and vibrations are the basis of everything. They pervade everything. Human consciousness is reflected by them. Atoms are vibrations between positive and negative forces. Some very subtle, some complex. But it's all music. Popular music's young fans may want to insist that it's all just music, that the songs they listen to and the videos they watch are not having any real impact on their lives. But how does that line up with the opinions of those who actually make, study, and promote the music? The music comes to people on a subconscious level. It gets right to the core, and it has a way of transforming you. And songs, oh my God, songs so powerful that you are forever changed. You know, people say that music can change the world, and it really can. Music works in mysterious ways, you know. Once it goes in, you have really no say about what it does to you. Music is, is our weapon. We also promote the idea of unification between the body and the spirit. Music is a complete ocean. They hit one note, 
every hair in your body is going to stand up. And then you feel like you, you, you just made love or you just touched God's feet or both at the same time. I was 19 years old when I first saw the Rolling Stones. They've rocked my ass off. They've inspired me in word and deeds. From the first instantly recognizable chords, it grabs you hard, it goes to your gut, your muscles twitch, and it's deep in your soul. Rock and roll. It's an intense force. It can move mountains, stir up love affairs, and encourage revolution. Look at this. You're just amazed by the power of it. And I was also aware that you could just say, kill. And you know, just somehow this surge would happen. Funny thing about people, Gene Simmons can on the one hand talk about this power to evoke this surge, and on the other hand, spend his life defending rock music as a harmless diversion, as just a way of letting off steam and having fun. In the same way, Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers can in the same sentence talk about music's tremendous power to influence people in positive ways. You know, music is made to create beauty in the world. You know, right. there's, there's always need for more beauty in the world, and that's what music is. It you know, makes people happy. It gives people something creative to and, focus and on. Things at Woodstock were While maintaining, as we saw earlier, that it couldn't possibly have any negative effect on its listeners. You know, I thought that was ludicrous. You know, I thought the media was, was groping. Thank you, sir. Music is a magical gift. At the 2000 Grammy Awards, Recording Academy President Michael Green echoed Kiedis when he gushed about music's power to help people while denying that it could ever provoke to harm. Enhance the spatial intelligence in newborns, and let's not forget that the arts are a compelling solution to teen violence. They're certainly not the cause of it. Tonight, a year later, this doublespeak was turned on its head with the controversial performance and triple Grammy nomination of raunch rapper Eminem. Suddenly, practically every liberal women's and homosexual support group in America was up in arms because of his music's potential to affect behavior, to encourage violence and hatred. My words are like a dagger with a jagged edge. It'll stab you in the head, whether you're a fag or less. Is a homosex, a map, or a trans event? Pants address, hate facts, the answer's yes. Homophobic. But what's the big deal if it's only music? Didn't anyone listen to Mr. Green the year before? Teen violence. They're certainly not the cause of it. No one was more vocal in his defense of rock music than Frank Zappa, one of the most innovative and influential musicians and composers of the contemporary era. From interviews, to books, to his testimony before Congress, Zappa has insisted again and again, music is only music. It can't hurt anybody. And yet, in an article he wrote for Life magazine, Zappa noted rock's rather incredible power when he quoted Hal Zeiger, one of the music industry's first big promoters. I realized that this music got through to the youngsters because the big beat matched the great rhythms of the human body. I knew there was nothing that anyone could do to knock that out of them, that they would carry this with them the rest of their lives. Zappa further observed, the ways in which sound affects the human organism are myriad and subtle. 
The loud sounds and bright lights of today are tremendous indoctrination tools. Well, one might wonder how a tremendous tool for indoctrination that operates in myriad and subtle ways and will be carried with us for the rest of our lives can be only music. But leaving that alone, these types of observations by both musicians and people who work in and around the industry leave little doubt as to music's incredible power over its audience. Virtuoso guitarist Eddie Van Halen rightly observed, music really is the universal language. It really does have the power to heal. We've had people who hallucinated. We've had people become violent for no apparent reason and not understand why. Music is very powerful and it doesn't have to be a recognizable form. The power in and of itself of any sound is enough, which release specific chemicals in the brain and body in order to alter the state of consciousness. Renowned musicologist David Tame agrees. Music is the language of languages, he wrote in The Secret Power of Music. It can be said that of all the arts, there is none that more powerfully moves and changes the consciousness. Tori Amos echoed this observation when she stated, music is the most powerful medium in the world because of the frequencies. You're hitting places and people that remind them that they're more than just this functional being. The artist, once again known as Prince, gave his perspective on the power of these frequencies when he told an interviewer, the other night I went to a club and I watched the DJ control the entire room. Even politicians can't do that. Incredibly, given his own history of X-rated songs, he went on to reflect on the power of lyrics. I watched the DJ reach for the new album by B.I.G. and put it on, and the crowd went crazy. I asked him, do you know what he's saying in those lyrics? He said he didn't know. Then he tried to tell me he wasn't playing it for the lyrics, that for him it's all about the beat. But it's affecting people. Everything we put out there is affecting people. The message matters, my brother. Weighing her own influence as a musician against that of being an actor, Courtney Love admitted that there was a more bourgeois respectability to acting, but Meryl Streep doesn't know the sublime pleasure of standing in front of 10,000 people and making them do whatever you want. Superstar Jimi Hendrix noted another, perhaps more sobering aspect of this power. After describing how central music was to his life, to the point of functioning as a type of electronic church, he went on to tell Life magazine, you hypnotize people to where they go right back to their natural state. And when you get people at their weakest point, you can preach into their subconscious what we want to say. This power over the subconscious is precisely what science writer and composer Robert Jourdain was getting at when he said in his book, Music, the Brain, and Ecstasy, music seems to be the most immediate of all the arts. Music possesses us. It really is as if some other has entered not just our bodies, but our intentions taking us over. Well, 
There's probably no contemporary artist who's made a greater study of music's awesome power over the human soul than percussionist Mickey Hart. Drummer with the Grateful Dead, world music devotee, and self-taught musicologist, Hart has spent his life attempting to unravel the mystery that is music. From his testimony before the United States Senate, co-founding the Rhythm for Life Foundation, researching and authoring several books on the subject, including his late 1999 release, Spirit into Sound, The Magic of Music, a book that is a virtual apologetic for music's incredible, even supernatural power. To countless live concert experiences around the world, Hart's belief in the power of music borders on the religious. Describing, for example, the Dead's official archivist, Dick Latvala's devotion to their music, Hart said, in those moments when he was listening, he was communing with God. Several years ago, Hart sent out a request for anecdotal information on music and its power through the vast electronic underground of Deadheads. His letter began, Dear friend, I've discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence the human mind and body. Among the thousands of examples Hart has compiled is his own striking observation of the effects evoked by some music he heard many years ago. It was my first exposure to the mother rhythms from West Africa that later mutated into my tradition, becoming rock and roll. All I knew then was that whenever I played this music at parties, the room would transform. It was as though the rhythm of the drum was calling up something from these sleek cosmopolitan bodies that had been asleep. There was a power there I couldn't ignore. Hart is far from alone in these types of empirical observations. Doctors and professional musicologists have also studied this power to transform, creating a whole new branch of medicine called music therapy. And as music therapist Gene Maas has stated, music is the greatest power I have ever experienced. I doubt if anything else equals its power to act upon the human organism. The organized patterning of music uh, can help drive electrical uh, networks within the brain and can help the organization and reorganization of brain networks. MTV, aggressively reorganizing your brain. Nothing could be more this ability to organize and reorganize brain networks was given powerful expression by Richard Pellegrino, a medical doctor and consultant to the entertainment industry. In an article in Billboard magazine, Dr. Pellegrino discussed the powerful way music interacts, often subconsciously, with receptors in the brain to produce endorphin highs, to trigger a flood of emotions and images that have the ability to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. He closes his commentary with the observation, take it from a brain guy. In 25 years of working with a brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way that one simple song can. And in over 30 years of writing about the simple songs to which most of those brains listen, Rolling Stone magazine agreed. A song or an album, they said, can change your life. 
A great concert will change it on the spot. And when they're honest, the fans agree. The music itself just gave you this feeling that you couldn't forget. It just, it was like embedded inside of you. Even if you didn't know what the lyrics were, the music transported you into that realm that, that Kurt Cobain wanted you to be in. Much in the way Manson courts controversy, his fans began to follow suit, or dress. Years ago, Marilyn got in trouble for bringing his Kiss lunchbox to school. A generation later, the stiletto heel was on the other foot as kids were getting busted for emulating Mr. Manson. You're my inspiration. Do you want to know why? Why? There's a lot of reasons. You've inspired me to do so many things. Like, I think about you every day, and I listen to your music every day, and you keep me going. I, they, they have totally changed my life. They are gods. I love corn. And they take it quite seriously. I look into the faces of our fans, and I see that they've been touched by the Dark Carnival. Basically, to them, there's nothing fantasy about it. It's like, it's what they're into. I mean, it really is a real existence to them. Their music is like a background to my life. Like, everything that happens to me now, it's like, it's like my own little soundtrack. And I just want to, like, be able to hang out with them and say that I hang out with, like, the people that, like, have influenced my life. Music is an extension of yourself. And it's like, when people accept it, they're accepting you. You know, multitudes of people just, just vibing off your stuff. You know what I'm saying? Just heads bobbing. To me, it's like a drug. It's like euphoria. As soon as you turn on that beat, I'm in a different world. You know what I'm saying? Well, a renowned musicologist certainly knew exactly what he was saying when he observed music really is a powerful drug. It can poison you, lift your spirits, or make you sick without knowing why. Well, in a moment, we'll try to understand why. Just how it is music can exert, for good or evil, this type of influence over us. But first, it's important to also note that what music can do to the individual, it can do to their entire culture. And this is why, from philosophers to rulers, revolutionaries to network and marketing executives, Plato's observation in the Republic has been echoed time and again. When modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state change with them. In another work, Plato could have been writing about our modern age when he stated, through foolishness they, the people, deceived themselves into thinking that there was no right or wrong in music that it was to be judged good or bad by the pleasure it gave. As it was, the criterion was not music, but a reputation for promiscuous cleverness and a spirit of law-breaking. Plato's contemporary Aristotle, observing music's power to form character, to in some cases encourage self-control, while in others provoke abandonment advised that music actually be regulated by the state. 18th century Scottish writer, orator, and parliamentarian Andrew Fletcher echoed Plato and Aristotle when he declared that, if a man were permitted to make all the ballads, he need not care who should make the laws of a nation. A modern fulfillment of Fletcher's observation can be seen in the vast cultural changes that took place in America and much of the West during the 1960s. Rock and roll was the beginning of the brand new world uh, in terms of a generation bringing on its own consciousness through music to other generations. Yeah, 
So music was like the Pied Piper that led kids off the asphalt and out of the suburbs and into some other kind of reality. Albert Goldman, pop culture analyst and best-selling author, goes so far as to call that decade's popular music the most important cultural event in the history of America. Um, it's like an earthquake. It, uh, it just shook the whole country, and it cracked open uh, the shell of what had been society before that, and outswarmed a whole new generation of freaks. Leading these freaks were organizations like the Black Panthers, Students for a Democratic Society, and the Youth International Party, the Yippies. Embracing not only communist ideology, but also the Marxist-Leninist credo that music was to be used as a weapon to achieve particular socio-political ends, songs became the driving force of the revolution. Uh, point two is uh, total assault on the culture by any means necessary, including rock and roll dope in the streets. Jerry Rubin, co-founder of the Yippie Movement, and one of the infamous Chicago Seven authored the bestseller, Do It, a book that was called by its publisher, quote, the communist manifesto of our era, a declaration of war between the generations, calling on kids to leave their homes, burn down their schools, and create a new society upon the ashes of the old. See, we don't want to be responsible. We're irrational. We're irrational and crazy. In a chapter titled, Elvis Presley Killed Ike Eisenhower, Reuben described the spark that lit the fire of the revolution. The new left sprang from Elvis' gyrating pelvis. Hard animal rock energy beat surged hot through us, the driving rhythm arousing repressed passions. Reuben went on to observe the role technology rather ironically played in making this revolution possible. Affluent culture, by producing a car and a car radio for every middle-class home, gave Elvis a base for recruiting. While a car radio in the front seat rocked, young kids in the back seat were having sex to the hard rock beat. The back seat produced the sexual revolution, and the car radio was the medium for subversion. Thirty years later, Rubin's communist revolution has largely been passed up in favor of rank, whatever makes you happy materialism. Because everyone loves a twofer. Bye, Teddy. Bye, cutie. But music's influence has only become more powerful and more widespread. The low-fidelity car radio of the 60s has given place to digital technologies, surround sound and personal stereos, music television, TV commercials, movie soundtracks, soundtrack to the smash film, video games, the internet, and a $9 billion a year industry that's with us when we wake up, as we drive, study, when we exercise, as we relax, shop, go out to eat, and finally as we go to sleep. And the result is a new type of revolutionary, 
one even more secure in music's power to influence individuals as well as shape the culture. So music is really great. It can, it, can, it can move you know, a large group of people. It can inspire and move a large group of people. Then revolution can happen. There's more to Rage's music than meets the ear. We are able to seduce some people in with the music who then are exposed to a different uh, political message. As Bob Pittman, founder and one-time president of MTV once bragged, the strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. It's MTV. Today you are a woman. MTV. It's all part of growing up. You know, no one wants to feel like they're being influenced and certainly not owned or controlled by anything that's outside their own rational decision-making minds. Yeah, maybe some of those idiots who hang out in front of Game World at the mall are being led around by their nose rings, but we'd like to think, not me. The simple, inescapable truth, however, is that you and I do become, to some degree, what we listen to and watch. In the same way that human biology dictates that if you live on a steady diet of junk food, you will eventually damage your body, the entertainments you feed upon, for good or ill, will affect your emotional and spiritual well-being. It's true that not everyone will be influenced in precisely the same way or to the same degree, but like it or not, we will be influenced. Whether it's the manner in which music organizes thought patterns in the brain or the mysterious spiritual power that has so fascinated artists like Hendrix, Morrison, Mickey Hart, and Tori Amos, music truly does have enormous influence over its audience. On my command. Relinquish control. Give me your body. Surrender your soul. Submission is strongly suggested. Let's now close by examining the basic bottom line of this power over our souls and what we can do about it. TJ. TJ. Son. Get it. What are you doing? I'm just doing some programming. Programming what? The computer or your brain? What's that? I've already drawn the analogy between food and entertainment, how what we bring into our bodies and minds affects the type of people we become. Perhaps an even better analogy, though, can be found here, in, of all things, a broken window. In his classic work, Thinking About Crime, renowned social scientist James Q. Wilson observed that disorder and crime are usually inextricably linked that human behavior is profoundly affected by its environment. Broken windows, graffiti, drunkenness, and open displays of unfettered sexuality are an invitation for crime, a declaration that the environment is uncontrolled and uncontrollable, and that anyone can invade it to do whatever damage and mischief the mind suggests. 
almost like clockwork when this broken window effect is reversed and these elements are removed or suppressed within a community. Crime rates plummet. An ordered and more dignified atmosphere encourages civility and moral behavior, while disorder breeds anarchy and immorality. Hi, how you doing? And if that's true when disorder appears in something as mundane as a broken window, how much more powerful is the catalyst for immoral behavior when the aural environment, when the music, that language of the human soul, is bent towards moral disorder and chaos? A striking example of this broken window effect as it relates to music can be seen in this small park in Edmonton, Alberta. Several years ago, drug dealers began doing business here, and as a result, the crime rate in general began to increase. In an effort to restore a sense of order and preserve their community, local merchants paid for a sound system and began to broadcast the symphonies of Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart throughout the park. Neil DeBoer, the local chief of police, reported that the results were immediate and dramatic, with the number of crimes falling by approximately 800%. While there's no way to fully quantify all the factors that led to this decline, the gut consensus was that the beauty, intelligence, grandeur, and order projected by the classical music was so antithetical to the discord and degeneracy associated with the drug trade that many of the dealers just stayed away. A more recent example of the flip side to this principle can be seen in the rioting, theft, arson, and rape that took place at Woodstock 1999. It's time to let yourself go right now because there are no more rules out there. During the Limp Biscuit set, where the majority of the sexual assaults were reported, vocalist Fred Durst introduced a new song. How many people here ever woke up one morning and just decided it was one of those days and you're gonna break some shit? Well, this is one of them days, yo. And then saying, This chaos reached its crescendo the next night during the Red Hot Chili Peppers performance, while bass player Flea pranced about naked, and lead singer Anthony Kiedis urged women in the audience to do something so disturbing we can't even mention it here. An organization calling itself PAX, Latin for Peace, distributed candles. So here, why don't you just take one as a souvenir for coming by? It was no small irony when these so-called peace candles were used to set fires that ultimately burned down a stage, 12 trailers, and brought 500 riot police onto the scene. When asked by reporters about the pandemonium, concert promoter John Schur replied, I can't give you an explanation. I guess they were kids blowing off some steam and it got out of hand. It's been well said, there are none so blind as those who refuse to see. Again, as with the young criminals we looked at earlier, we're not suggesting that the music and the atmosphere shaped by it were the sole cause of all the mayhem. The heat, high prices, and poor planning have all been trotted out as contributing factors. 
But to say that the moral anarchy intentionally promoted by this music was not a, if not the major factor, is to not only deny common sense and the broken window effect, it's to ignore a very basic aspect of human nature. If we stop to honestly think about it, we all know we have a bent towards doing the wrong things. Little children, for example, don't have to be taught how to be bad, how to be selfish or fight or get angry when they don't get their way. Parents have to work hard at teaching kids how to be good, how to develop the self-discipline necessary to not succumb to these very natural tendencies. And even as we grow older, again, if we're honest, we struggle. It's all too easy for us to become impatient or even angry over things as inconsequential as the flow of traffic. We're tempted to goof off at work, even though we know we'd be upset if someone did the same thing to us. We're tempted to get angry and rebel against the very people who love us the most. We struggle with sexual and emotional faithfulness, even though we know it's what we desire and expect in return. On and on it goes, confirming what the Bible clearly declares. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Like it or not, compared to the perfections of an infinite and infallible God, our fallen, fallible, and finite natures produce actions that even at their best are as filthy rags in His sight. Our bent towards evil is really more an addiction, one for which we ultimately need His power, His grace to fight and overcome. So what happens when we immerse ourselves into an environment that encourages us to give in to these temptations? When we listen to and watch things, for example, that glorify sex, anger, and rebellion, suddenly it's not just the fires or the rapes or the looting that took place at Woodstock that begin to make sense. It's the stuff that goes on every day and all around us. The dumbing down and coarsening of language. The increasing popularity of tattooing, body modification, and body piercing. The erosion of any and all standards of modesty. The loss of a sense of destiny, purpose, and hope. The use of alcohol and drugs. I'm taking a hit for everyone here. The celebration of rebellion, chaos, and anarchy. The assault on religion and moral absolutes. The growing fascination with death and the occult. The embrace of anger, aggression, and the celebration of violence. The increasing normalization of sexual debauchery. Morning, morning, morning. Baby, 
the list drags on. The sonic environment created by many of today's artists, both at Woodstock and more importantly, throughout our culture, is encouraging behavior that in any other time and in any other context would be almost unthinkable. All right, we got one rule. The prophetic warning of Galatians 6 has come true with a vengeance. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh shall from his flesh reap corruption. Billboard magazine got it exactly right when it acknowledged that popular music doesn't just reflect aspects of our society, which of course is the most common defense raised in support of the industry. It also helps define, condone, and deepen their some effect. While the vast majority of us will never be inspired by popular music to kill or commit a crime or even to take our clothes off in public, we are nevertheless affected whether it's in our attitude towards sex, aesthetics, authority, intelligence, civility, language, beauty, on and on. The world we create for ourselves through our choices in music, along with other entertainments, goes into our hearts and minds and works for good or ill, their subtle magic. And this is precisely why the clear warning God presents to us in Proverbs is echoed throughout the Bible. Watch over your heart, the things you listen to, watch and think about with all diligence, for out of your heart will flow the issues of life. <laughs>